Good morning, Moore Tribe. We're so glad you could join us for our version of Church Online. We hope to bring a piece of our home and authentic atmosphere to wherever you are right now. We miss you all and pray blessings over you and your families. We will be posting more on all of our social media and would love for you to follow, watch, and comment to keep us all connected. Lastly, we want to ask you to please give online to support your church. We couldn't do any of this without you. We appreciate your support, your prayers, and the time you've taken to be with us right now. Good morning, Moore. It's good to see you guys, or to imagine seeing you guys again. Uh, thank you for joining us this morning. I am really full of, I don't know, just so much joy today and so much expectation. Uh, I think because... I can see light at the end of the tunnel, and I know that this pandemic has been tough on a lot of you, it's been tough on a lot of people, tough on churches, businesses, but I see light at the end of the tunnel because I know that we're coming out of it, and I thank God for that. So before we get into God's Word today, let's just pray together and ask for His presence, for His guidance, and for Him to instruct us this morning. God, we just come to you this morning, and we thank you for uh, being here with us. I know, Lord that your presence is here, because we're here. And I thank you, God, for your, uh, just your goodness, and I thank you for the recoveries that we've seen in our area, that there's just been a remarkable amount of recoveries in the last few days. And I thank you, God, that these curves are beginning to flatten out and to go the other way. And Lord, we know that we're coming out of this thing, and that it's your goodness, God, that's going to lead us out. I thank you, God, that we have a date as a church to come back together, to be uh, in this place and in each other's lives once again. And I thank you for that, God. This June 21st, it's just not that far away. And I thank you, Lord, for being here with us this morning to teach us, to guide us, to instruct us. And we ask, Lord, that you would even convict us so that, God, as we read your word, that your spirit would, would do what it need, wants to do and needs to do inside of each one of us, God, so we can be the people that you created us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're going to get back into our study of the book of James. <clears throat> and uh, we've been studying James since this pandemic began. And uh, it's because James wrote this little book. Whenever he was going through a tremendous trial, it was a long-term trial. They were being persecuted by the government, uh, by other people. Businesses were being closed. People were losing their jobs. They had a great financial hardship pressed upon them. And uh, James wrote this little book, you know, 108 verses, 54 commands in these 108 verses, practical information on how to get through times of trial and, and just things to avoid. I, I keep looking at it, and I think these are just a list of pitfalls uh, that we have a temptation to fall into when we're under stress. You know, we go through times of stress, and it kind of wears us down, and we end up being a little bit more vulnerable to the ways of the world. As we've gone through this little book, this five chapters, we've seen so many great points, and I just kind of wanted to recap a few of them because I think for the most part, most people are staying free from this stuff, but I, I just want to encourage you to get, if you're into any of these things that James warns us about, I encourage you to be free and to stay free. And so, you know, we looked at the very first, at the beginning of this, that this is no time for self-pity or uh, complaining, why me, and you know, to look around and, and you look at other people that don't seem to be struggling and you are struggling and you, you even get into this place where you begin to blame God or doubt God's goodness. 
And I just want to say that God is always good, and he only gives good gifts. Just because we go through difficult times doesn't mean that uh, God is not good. And that's the, big, that's the big emphasis that James had at the beginning uh, of his book and the beginning of our study. You know, and then doubting our, stance, our, our standing with God, our, that we ch- we're children of God. And because he's a good father, being a child of God is a big deal. And so that was a big thing. And we want to hang on to that. In fact, that was the one thing that James says, don't doubt, keep the faith and believe you're standing in God. And then, you know, we've been talking the last few weeks about just angry, ugly, judgmental words that seem to come out of us uh, in these times, you know, looking to blame someone or something for the hardship we're going through. It's so easy to slip into that. And James says it's fruitless. And it, and it, even, it shouldn't be in James chapter 3. He says, those kind of words that curse men but praise God, it just shouldn't be that way. And so we want to get free from that stuff, and we want to stay free. And as we get out of this pandemic and we come out of it, we sure don't want any of the residual emotional negative effects to come into the church. Uh, We want to begin to meet together and to be the church that's full of hope and optimism and positive uh, speech, and that's what we're going to do. But we have one more thing to look at today, Uh, one more thing that's a negative activity that James warns us about. And I think it's a a really, really powerful one. And today we're going to look up at something that shows up in the church in a time of stress. It's covered in James chapter 2, verse 1. And he begins out in the New King James translation saying, you know, don't hold the faith of Jesus Christ with partiality. It seems like sort of a, I don't know, not a big, big statement. But what he's talking about there is the sin of showing partiality. Yeah, it's a sin. Showing partiality. Let me me give you another definition of showing partiality. It's prejudice. It's whenever we are prejudiced against other people. We have a preconceived negative idea or conception of different people. And we we do it just sometimes automatically. You know, when I was raised uh, here in Amarillo, I, I was raised by a family that was really uh, prejudiced. They showed a lot of partiality, and it usually had to do with the color of people's skin. My grandparents, my parents, the atmosphere of our home, um, it, was, it was very full of negative speech about other races and different people. But when I was a little boy, about eight or nine, and I just want to say that, that is a long time ago. It was back 62, 63, before the Civil Rights Amendment was passed in 64. It was a very tumultuous time in our society. There was a, a, a civil unrest. There was a racial unrest. Martin Luther King was having his rallies, and they were marching. And, and I was a young boy, and I heard all the prejudice speech in my home, and I would listen to this stuff on TV, and I, I, I became a little conflicted, a little confused, um, because I would listen to what was being said on TV, and I would think, yes, there are people. They, they need to have equal access and equal rights. But on the other hand, I was hearing my, the speech in my home, and and I was, it was easy to fall into that negativity. Well, when I was about eight or nine, we had a, a lady that used to clean our house from time to time. Her name was Georgia, and it was my first encounter with someone of a different color. Uh, even though she really wasn't that much of a different color, she was half white and half black, but she identified as black. And it used to make me a little confused. I thought, why would you do that? I think you could pass off as being white. And I, I didn't understand why she would always identify with being black. What I didn't understand at that time 
was that the world, the world would not let her identify as white, especially the world of 1962, 1963. They wouldn't let her forget that she had black blood. And it made her very unique in the way that she understood culture. And even at eight, nine years old, I used to love to talk to her. And I, I would ask her questions about, you know, what it was like to be black or what, it, you know, different things. And I'm not going to tell you what I asked her or some of the goofy things I said because I was, I was ignorant. You know, most people that are prejudiced, most people that show partiality, I've come to learn that they're ignorant. Not stupid people, not uneducated people, ignorant. Ignorant of what other people go through. Ignorant of what other people have to endure. I was ignorant. I was asking ignorant questions, but she was so kind to me. She was so helpful to me. And it began to form in me an understanding that I didn't understand the perspective that a lot of people live with. But you know what I came to learn in that, in that time, even from the 60s and even to today, that the world is full of prejudice and the world is full of injustice. That's the way the world is. And so when, Paul, when uh, James says, show no partiality whenever it comes to you know, holding the faith of Jesus, what he's saying is, in the church, there should be no prejudice. There should be no injustices. People should never be treated differently just because they look different than someone or maybe they're a different social economic status. James is saying that when we go through times of difficulty, one of the things that happens in us is it's almost like we go back into our default or you know, we're tempted to go back in and start blaming people or other, other races and different things. It's, it's really strange how that happens. In times of trial, it's, it's just a fact that people are a lot more judgmental, people are a lot more uh, you know, hateful. And James says that should not be that way. It's a warning that James is giving to the church. I love this translation of James chapter 2, verse 1. It says, My dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor, which that's showing partiality, to some people over others? Hey, that's a great question that James asked. And, and it's a rhetorical question, which means he already knows the answer. He didn't ask it to get an answer. He asked it so that you would answer it in the proper way. It's a good question. The church should be the least judgmental place on earth. So he said, how can you claim to have faith in the Lord Jesus and show partiality to some people over another? Well, the answer is you can't. He's saying it's incongruent. It's not right. It's not right for God's people to show partiality to one group of people over another. The world is that way. It'll always be that way. But it should never be that way in God's church. But, you know, during times of trial, during all kinds of anything that we go through, the devil takes every opportunity he can to bring his ways of the world into the church. As we remember from previous teachings, the whole world is under the sway, under the influence of the devil. That's why it's full of prejudice. You know, you go all over the world, all over the country, and people of same races or prejudice against people in their races just because of the tone of their skin. People in, in, in same countries are prejudiced against other people that are citizens of their country simply because of their nationality. It shouldn't be. But that's the way the world is. It's always been that way. But God says that's not the way of the church. 
But the devil wants to bring that nonsense into the church. He wants to bring that influence into the church. James 4.4, strong language James uses here, the Holy Spirit actually through James. He says, adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. You know, I read that and I go, whoa, wait, wait. I thought God so loved the world that he gave his son. And because God loves this world, I love this world. The church loves this world. He's not talking about that kind of friendship with the world. What he's talking about is not allowing us to buddy up with some of the systems, some of the ideas, some of the ways of thinking that are in the world. The church should not be influenced. It shouldn't be friends with a spirit that causes people to be prejudiced or to show partiality. That type of thing causes us to be adulterers and adulteresses. What strong language? I mean, I'm like, really? Isn't that kind of an overstatement? No, it's not. This is the way God sees it. Here's the thing. Like, Wendy and I, we just celebrated our 39th wedding anniversary uh, just a week or so ago, and uh, Wendy is the most influential female in my life. I listen to her. She has a lot of influence into my life, and uh, that's the way it should be. She's my wife, and she's my number one, inf uh, number one female influence in my life. Well, if I allowed other females to begin to influence me, that they would begin to talk to me, and it had more influence in my life than what Wendy did, then I have stepped over a line, and I've become an adulterer. Yeah, there's no physical contact, but you see, it violates something that God's put in place. And that is that Wendy and I, as married people, we're each other's biggest influence in each other's life. That's what it means to be one. That's what it means to be intimate. And when I allow someone else to have more influence, then yes, I become an adulterer. That's exactly how God sees this. We're the bride of Christ. The church is the bride of Christ. And, and being the bride, he's our number one influence. This, the Holy Spirit is the number one influence in the church. Not the goofy spirits that are in the world, not those spirits that are just the nonsense of the world. When they begin to have more influence in the church than the Holy Spirit does, yes, God sees that as becoming adulterous. It's a sin. It's exactly what he thinks. You know, our world is splintered, splintered by partisan politics, accusations against other people, against other countries, it's splintered right now with angry uh, accusation against all kinds of things, all kinds of conspiracy theories, all this stuff coming up. And it's, it's, it seems that it sometimes begins to seep into the church. And God says, I don't want that in the church. I don't want the church to become friendly with that kind of spirit. The Holy Spirit is full of love. The Holy Spirit is full of gentleness and kindness and acceptance. That's what God wants us to be like. We're never going to see the end of injustice in the world. We're never going to see the end of prejudice in our world until Jesus returns. But we can see the end of that kind of stuff in the church. Let's look back at the example that James was using in James chapter 2. This is the example he uses. He said uh, in verses 2 through 4, he says, For example, suppose someone comes into your meeting dressed in fancy clothes, and expensive jewelry, and another comes in who's poor and dressed in dirty clothes. If you give special attention and a good seat to the rich person, 
But you say to the poor one, you can just stand over there, you can sit on the floor. Well, doesn't that discrimination show that your judgments are guided by evil motives? Another question at the end. It doesn't, it doesn't need to be answered because it's a rhetorical question. Doesn't that discrimination show that our judgments are guided by the devil and his evil thoughts that are in the world? Yes, that's what it shows. Now, he's talking about money here. He's talking about preference of a rich person over a poor person because they were in so much financial oppression at that time. That was sort of a temptation. They, they had a temptation that when rich people came in, they thought, oh, maybe they can help us out. Maybe they can be our savior in that situation. But, you know, he's saying, don't show partiality. You know, it's something that's gone on in the church for thousands of years. Preferring one group of people over another group of people. Preferring rich people, especially, over poor people. It's even thought back in that culture that rich people, it, it, it was a sign of God's favor. And being poor was a sign of God's curse. And being poor was also a result of sin. So they had this mixed up idea. But, you know, it's funny because... I see it in the church today. It's this goofy kind of thinking that's really in the world that's wormed its way into the church, and it shouldn't. It has no place in the church. There's no difference between rich people and poor people other than God allowed someone to step into something that he didn't allow someone else to. You know, the way of the church, we should always keep in mind that Jesus did everything he could do to remove barriers between people. Galatians 3.28 says this, There's neither Jew nor Gentile, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female, for you're all one in Christ. Now what's he saying there? He's saying that when Jesus came, that he took the barrier down between Jew and Gentile. He took the barrier down between a slave and a slave owner. He took the barrier down between a male and a female. He said you're all the same. You're all one in Christ. You're all equal in Christ. Well, he's not just talking about those particular three things. He's talking about all the things that we find prejudice in the world. He wants us to eliminate those barriers because he eliminated those barriers. There is no difference between any kind of people. The church seems to always want to find a difference between this person and that person. They always seem to want to qualify this person and disqualify that person. If Jesus died and resurrected to get rid of these barriers, then who are we as the church to resurrect these barriers and tell a woman that she's in second-class citizen when he tells us there's no difference between male and female? Who are we to allow these things that are in the world, these, you know, these silly prejudices that are in the world, who are we to allow those to come into the church when we know God took down every barrier? There is no difference between me and anyone else that ever steps foot in this church. There's no difference between you and anyone else. No one is more than and no one is less than. We are all the same in Christ. I've said it many times. The, the world's way is us and them. You know, the Americans against the Russians or the, uh, the Japanese against the Chinese or the Koreans against the Japanese. It's a, there's all these divisions in the world. It's always us and them in the world. It's not that way in the church. It's not that way in the kingdom of God. In the church, it's us and him. There's no us and them anywhere. Anytime we see that mentality 
come into the church, we're allowing the spirits of the world to come into the church and bring something in here that's not supposed to be here. It's just not the way God wants it to be. We no longer identify with labels the world puts on us. You may have been labeled all your life, who knows, in a negative way. You may have been subject to people being ugly to you or discriminating against you, but I can tell you this, when you step foot into church, and especially into this church, you will not be discriminated against. He's removed the label, and we removed the label. And we're not going to put the label back on. I don't want a label put on me, and I don't want to put a label on you. James chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. And this is where this message really uh, is going to. James says here, yes, indeed, it's good when the church or us, when we, when we obey the royal law as found in scriptures, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you favor some people over others, you're committing a sin. You're guilty of breaking the law. The royal law of scripture. I love that. I love that. That's the title of this sermon. The royal law of scripture. Why is it the royal law? Love your neighbor as yourself. Because it's the royal law because it comes from the heart and the mind of the king of kings. It's the royal law that governs his kingdom and should govern his church. It's his royal law. He said it's good when we obey that law, when we love our neighbor as ourselves. And Jesus told us who our neighbor was. He, he said a Samaritan. He used the good Samaritan story to answer that question, who is my neighbor? And if you remember, the Samaritans were so despised by the Jews. They were so hated. They were sinners. They were the wrong nationality. They were the wrong everything. And Jesus said, no, that's your neighbor, and you're to love your neighbor as yourself. And I know some of you don't really love yourself very much, and I just want to say this, that when he says love your neighbor as yourself, if you can't put a high standard on loving yourself, just say love your neighbor as you love your spouse or as you love your children or as you love anybody that's close to you because that's what Jesus is saying. The royal law found in Scripture is that we don't show partiality, that we genuinely love people regardless, regardless. This can only be practiced in church. It can only be practiced when we come back together. That's why I'm so optimistic. I'm glad we have a date, June 21st. We get to come back together. We get to come back together and practice this royal law that's found in Scripture. We get to come back together and love one another. You know, it's impossible to love your neighbor as yourself if you're only watching church online. Romans chapter 8. There was another time of great suffering, and Paul was writing Romans 8. And they were going through some tremendous suffering, but he says some tremendous things in Romans 8, 18 and 19. He said, I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that's going to be revealed in us. Stop right there. I just want to agree with what Paul said. No matter what suffering you're going through, this has been a universal truth for thousands of years. That the suffering, any time that the church goes through any suffering, it doesn't compare with what the church is going to go through when it gets out of it. All things work together for our good because we love God, because we're called according to his purpose. That's not going to change. 
And when this thing is going away, and it doesn't matter how much we've suffered because the glory that's coming is going to far surpass anything that we've had to suffer through. And then the next part of this verse is even more interesting. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. Wow. A lot of people read this verse, and they believe that that revealing of the sons of God, you know, revealing who we are to the world, uh, you know, like who's really right, who's really the sons of God or whatever, it, it's almost taken in a way that, well, you know, we're going to be doing miracles, and that's going to prove that we're the sons of God. I don't, I don't believe that. I believe he's talking about in a time of great suffering, those that are the children of God are revealed. They're revealed because they have the heart of God. We learn this from Jesus. There's no reason for us to fill in the blanks here. Jesus told us how you're revealed is who you are. Jesus was the Son of God, and he was revealed to the world in a certain way. It wasn't his miracles that always caused people to believe. In fact, many of his miracles, right after the miracles, people wanted to kill him. What was it that caused people to believe that he really was the Messiah? Well, look at the woman at the well, a Samaritan. He goes out of his way to find this woman. He goes out of his way to find someone that everybody else says was a less than. She was a woman. She was a Samaritan. She was a fornicator. She was, she was living with someone. Jesus found her, and he treated her as a valuable, valuable person. He didn't, he didn't condemn her. He didn't judge her. He loved her. He understood her pain. And what happened? He revealed himself as the Messiah, and she believed him because of the love that he showed her, because of the acceptance he showed her, because he didn't treat her with partiality. He treated her with love. We should learn from Jesus. The church should learn from Jesus. During times of suffering, you know, we should rise up. People should know who we are. We shouldn't buy into all the negative hate speech. We shouldn't buy into all that treating people differently or, you know, dividing people and trying to make people evil. And I mean, that's nonsense. We should rise up and be who God called us to be, and that's full of his love and full of his acceptance. The church is to be a place of no judgment, no condemnation. When people come in here, that's what they should feel, accepted and loved. And I just want to say this. More, this church, this place is probably the least judgmental group of people I've ever been around in my life. You know, when we come back together, when we assemble in this building again, if you're not a member here, I want to encourage you to please come, not for the preaching and the worship, even though, you know, You've been experiencing that over the last few weeks if you've been watching us online. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to come and experience the acceptance, the acceptance of what it says on our sign out front. Come as you are, not as you should be. Because you're going to find love and acceptance in this place. I don't care who you are. I don't care where, what you're doing. I don't care. The people here will love you. They're going to help you to get free from the shame and the pain and the ugliness that's been put on you in the world. Because they take seriously the commands that are out of this little book of James. James chapter 5, verse 16. 
confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. That's what you experience in this place. A place where you can genuinely come in and confess your faults, confess your sins to the people that are here, and it's going to help you to be healed. That's the power of the church. That's the power of Jesus in the community of the church. Because he said you're a righteous person because you're under the blood of Jesus. That's the church. That we're not righteous because we're different or better. We're righteous because we believe Jesus is our Savior. And he said because of that standing, you're a child of God. Your prayers are powerful. And when you pray for people that have needs, you're going to help set them free. That's what I want you to come experience. A place where you can be yourself and nobody's going to judge you. And you have a job to do, brothers and sisters. You know, as we come into this place, we come back on June 21st, you need to be here. Because here's what it says. My dear brothers and sisters, if someone among you wanders from the truth and is brought back, you can be sure that whoever brings the sinner back will save that person from death and bring about forgiveness of many sins. That, that is so powerful. And that cannot be done by watching church online. That can't be done by staying out of the, out of the church. It's done right here. People wander away, and our job to reach them with no condemnation, but to lovingly bring them back into the fold so that they can contribute. I don't know if you know this, but whatever your shortcoming is, that's actually your greatest strength because it causes you to be able to connect to someone else who's struggling with the same things that you are. And so the church is going to reconvene. It's going to meet again. We're going to assemble. And I want you to be here. I want you to be active and involved in this place because I believe in the power of the church and it comes through the power of assembly and us being in each other's lives. So whenever we start back, whenever society begins to open back up, I just pray that you come on back. And as we minister today, I want to pray for some of you that maybe have felt rejected. Maybe you have been, um, I don't know, pushed aside, made to feel less than. Maybe you've committed a terrible sin. I don't know what that is. I've committed some terrible sins. And sometimes after you commit a terrible sin, you feel like people don't want to be around you. I just want to tell you that's a lie from the devil because we've all done that. We've all been there, done that. And I just want to invite you into a real church where people can really love you and help you to get rid of that shame, get rid of that guilt. And so I just want to pray for anyone out there today that maybe is going through that stuff. And I also want to pray for any of you that feel judgmental towards other people, that feel superior to other people. We want to tell you that this is also a place where you can come and have your heart healed. You know, it's a lot of reasons that people grow up and they, they never let go of feeling like they're superior or feeling like they're, they're greater than other people. There's a lot of reasons. It's usually based in insecurity. But I'll tell you this, there's healing for you as well. Because God wants us to all come together and lovingly be together and lovingly love one another. So I want to pray for you now. If you will, just bow your heads and close your eyes and let God work in your heart. God, I thank you for this message. I thank you, Lord, for these that are listening to this message. And I know, God, that these are just words on a page unless you get on them with your spirit and begin to minister these words to those that are at home and out there, God, hearing my voice. 
And so, Lord, just touch them. Touch them where they're wounded. Touch them where they're rejected. Touch them, God, where they've heard ugly words or they've been pushed aside. Touch them, God, where they feel like they're less than. And God, bring healing to their inner man. Bring healing to their innermost parts. And then, God, those that, that maybe feel superior, maybe your spirit's telling them you need to let some of these prejudices go, God. And I pray over them. And I pray, Lord, that you would begin to just heal their heart. Heal their heart, God. Touch them, Lord. We thank you that when Jesus comes into our life, that all things are made new. And we thank you, Lord, that you're all about making us new. So, God, be with your people. Be with us wherever we are. Let us walk in your favor and in your blessing. And we thank you, God, for the, just letting this time come to an end because we know that it is soon. And we pray in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. See you next week. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Church Online. Um, let me just pray over us and bless us um, as we just bless the Lord this morning. God, we really do want to bless your name. God, we just worship you in spirit and in truth. God, we bring you what we have, and we just lay it at your feet. God, we love you so much, and we just give you our love this morning. God, you're worthy of everything we can bring. You're worthy of everything we could ever bring forever and ever and ever. So God, just take joy and delight in us this morning. And God, just let this be an offering to you, God, in sincerity and truth. Amen.
There's no one like my Jesus There's nothing like his love Go on and search the world But there's nothing good enough No, there's no one like my Jesus There's nothing like his love Go on and search the world But there's nothing good enough